Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Kublup campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. Out of all of the events that are there in the Olympic Games, I think that none is more entertaining than the high jump. It's engrossing. I find it engrossing to watch men and women attempt to jump over the top of a bar that's very delicately balanced and then some evil person comes along and keeps lifting that bar higher and higher with the sole purpose of tricking people so that they knock the bar off. So one by one those athletes fail to clear the bar and the whole point of that is so they get to the place where there's only one person who's able to jump over that bar. That person is the winner. That person is the one who gets the gold medal. That person is declared to be the best in the world at the high jump. So what I've done is I've brought along a couple of um, safety-conscious aids to demonstrate what that looks like. I don't know whether any of you ever did this when you were growing up and learning things about life, but I certainly had a go at it. How many else, how many others had a go at doing something like that? Here's the bar. The idea is to jump over it. That's going to be really easy for me, isn't it? I've got a head start. All I've got to do is step over. That's our point of our illustration for today. But if we think about it, life's a bit like that, isn't it? Life's a bit like this object lesson right here in front of us. There's a bar that we all face and that we're all expected to jump over. That, uh, that causes us some trouble from time to time. And if you'll excuse me, because I'm going to deliberately mix the metaphors here, but I've observed on a daily basis that we're also confronted by a series of hoops and hurdles. The trick is that you need to know which is which. You see, it doesn't go well for us if we get them confused. The idea with the hoops and the hurdles is that you're supposed to jump through the hoop, but you're supposed to jump over the hurdle. And the thought of having to assess which one is which and whether or not I've got the physical stamina to actually jump over them or jump through them leaves me feeling a little bit frayed around the edges. It's a little bit too much from time to time. And that's before we even say anything at all about the need to run faster and harder and for longer. I don't know about you, but I'm starting to feel tired already. And I'm worried as well. I'm worried because how am I going to compete when that bar gets raised higher? Surely I'm not the only one here who's starting to be a little bit pressured by the expectations of life. And I think there's some sort of conspiracy going on here too because I noticed this last night that there's a a decidedly unsettling creak under my feet. I think that the person who did this is probably the same person who's rigged my bathroom scales because they tell lies as well. You see, the truth is sometimes life gets too much, doesn't it? Who's seen the movie Shrek? 
There's an absolutely brilliant line in that movie that I love. Uh, Shrek and the donkey have been and they've rescued Princess Fiona and they're about to take her back to the castle and donkey reaches a point of exasperation. And what he says is, I'm going to need a whole heap of serious therapy when this is all over. <laughs> Anybody else got their hand up to that? One of the reasons that, uh, that I'm in need of that therapy is the text that the guys up at, uh, up at Burragoon chose for this, this day runs for over 30 verses. That's going to take us most of our time just to read it, isn't it? So guess what? We're not going to read it. <laughs> it's way too much, way too much text in there. So what we're going to do is just choose five of those verses. Those five verses... Um, we're going to, to read them, and they're up there on the screen for you. Let me, let me read out of, out of my Bible here. This is Jesus speaking, by the way. Every single word in here is a red-letter word. So it's the word of the Lord. Jesus says this, Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything Beyond this comes from the evil one. In Matthew's gospel, there are a, there's a huge chunk of text, chapters 5, 6 and 7, that actually encompass what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. And that bit of text has been given that name because... When Jesus saw the number of people who were following around after him when he was teaching them, uh, when you, have you worked out that when something good is happening that people tend to follow? The place gets filled up when something good is happening. That's what happened to Jesus. As he taught people, he came, more and more people come to follow him. And when he saw the size of the crowd, he realised that he could no longer teach them in a small place. The place had to be much bigger. So what he did was he went up on a mountainside and he sat down and he began to teach them. Now, in the ancient world, it's customary for a teacher to sit, unlike our modern world where you go to university or TAFE or wherever it is, and the person who's doing the lecture is standing in front of you teaching. In the ancient world, the teacher sat so what happens when Jesus went up on this mountainside was that he needed to get a bit of elevation. He needed to be a little bit higher than everyone else so that everyone who was there to hear him could see him and because they could see him, they could hear him better. Now the short passage that we've just read is part of a much longer section that I was talking about, those 30 verses. Those verses begin in verse 17 and they go all the way up to verse 48. Now, there's 32 verses in there. And they form a package because right at the start of it, Jesus says that he's come to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. 
And he finishes that section by saying, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. So the topic that Jesus is addressing in all of this section is that uh, the place of the law in the daily lives of the Jews. You see, the Jews were Jesus' own people. And what he does in that section is that he provides six examples of what that looks like in your life. Those six examples are, if I just open back up here, he provides an example about murder. What happens when there's murder? He provides an example about adultery. He provides an example about divorce. He provides an example that we're going to look at this morning about oaths and vows and swearing. He also provides an example about the saying about an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. He also provides an example about how we should be loving our enemies. But he finishes with the words, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. In all six of those examples, Jesus does the same thing. He follows the pattern. And he makes that pattern clear to the people as he's teaching them so that they get the point, so that they're able to apply what he's saying in their lives. And we might even go a little bit further than that and say that the pattern that Jesus uses is actually a liturgical pattern. Now, liturgical, the, the word liturgical means this is what we do in church as a way of ensuring that everything gets done that needs to happen and when we do it for a few weeks in a row, it becomes a pattern, doesn't it? It's a liturgical pattern, it's a liturgical structure. Um, we have a thing that we use on the platform here called a run sheet. The run sheet lists all of the things that we've got to do and so far we've managed to tick them off. There's, there's a few to come later, we'll worry about them when we get there. So this liturgical pattern follows the shape of, you have heard it said, but I tell you. Now that is no accident that Jesus chose that structure because what he was trying to do was to ensure that the people understood that the things that he was teaching them applied in the spiritual realm. And that spiritual realm is not removed from their daily lives because what happens in the spiritual realm is essential for life. It's not some obscure point of religious law. And Jesus does that because what he wants to do is he wants to start where the people are at. You've heard it said, right? He wants to start there. This is the wisdom that you have received. There is a religious expectation, if you like, that you do not break your oath. He adds that since you have made that oath, the way that you have made that oath is that you have made a statement before some authority and you have made that statement in such a way that you are saying that you will not act and you will not speak falsely. Therefore, you should not knowingly break an oath. That's the received wisdom of the day. However, Jesus is not conventional. Remember earlier he said he did not come to abolish the law 
The whole of the focus of Judaism at his time was on the law. Jesus says, I have not come to abolish it, but I've come to fulfill it. You see what he's saying? Everybody was looking at the need to keep the law. He was going to keep the the law in such a way that he was going to fulfill it. So the religious convention that dictated that oaths should not be broken, Jesus is going to say something different. He says, but I tell you. And the content of what he's going to say to them is quite simple. It should be up there on the screen behind me. Do not swear at all. Rather than make oaths, rather than make vows, don't do that at all. Rather than being consumed with worry about whether or not I've broken a vow, knowingly or unknowingly, that I've made before the Lord, rather I should be concerned about whether or not I've managed to keep every part of the oath that I've made before the Lord. Jesus said, don't worry about those things. Do not swear at all. That's pretty simple, isn't it? So I can sit down now. Yeah? We could say some more things about that. Actually, there are three things that I need to say about that before we move further. The first is the term oath. And an oath, to give you a definition, is a solemn declaration that's made before someone or something which is important. So in this context, in the context in which Jesus is teaching, he's talking about oaths that were made before the Lord. Now, just to digress for a while, that's scary, isn't it? When you make an oath before the Lord, that's a serious deal. Do you and I realise, you and I should realise, that the whole of our lives are before the Lord? He sees everything. That's a serious deal. But to come back to an oath, our oaths are made before the Lord. Therefore, the point is to fail to honour or to fail to fulfil those oaths is actually to misuse the Lord's name. The second of the terms is to swear. This is the act of making an oath. It's actively invoking the name of the Lord as the authority by which or before whom I make that solemn declaration that something is true or that something will be said, or that something will be done. And the risk is the same. The risk is the same is that when I don't do that, I'm actually misusing the Lord's name. The third comment is that Jesus' reworking of received wisdom is that you should not swear at all. Again, we remember the note of caution with which Jesus starts, namely that he came to fulfil the law, not to abolish it. Now that's important. I keep saying that, don't I? Um, Because that's where we're going. That's important because he goes on to say at that same place, not the smallest letter, not the tiniest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will disappear from the law until everything is accomplished until everything is accomplished. What does he mean by that? He means that point in history when the Father draws all things to completion in Christ. That's the end point. 
The end point is when the Father finally brings all of history to its end. And all of history's end is when things are made complete, when things are made perfect in Christ. Why would Jesus then seemingly contradict the received wisdom of the day, especially when that wisdom finds ample support in the Old Testament? The reason is that people had been swearing oaths and making vows before the Lord. They had invoked the name of the Lord in support of that oath or that vow. And that's wrong. And Jesus says it's wrong for four reasons. He says, do not swear at all, not by heaven, not by earth, not by Jerusalem, and not upon your head. We can take them one by one. He says, do not swear by heaven. This is unacceptable, according to Jesus, because heaven is God's throne. The error here is not only that people were invoking the name of the Lord, but they were swearing by the seat of divine authority. And both actions dishonor the Lord and contravene the intent of the third commandment. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And there's just this tiny little minor fact that it also overlooks the fact that heaven is the Lord's, not ours. It belongs to him. It's not something that we can use. He says, do not swear by earth. Jesus rules this out as well because the earth is the Lord's footstool. You see, the Lord is the one who made the heavens and the earth. Therefore, to swear by the earth dishonors the sovereign authority of the creator. It's a denial of the fact that all creation belongs to him. He goes on to say, do not swear by Jerusalem. In this moment, what he's actually talking about is both the city and the temple. You see, the city of Jerusalem is the religious, the political and the social capital of the land that had been promised by the Lord to Abraham and through Abraham to all of the people of God. And the temple was the central place of worship in that city. Indeed, it was the central place of worship in the whole of the land. We could even say it was the heart of the spiritual life of Israel. So Jerusalem was the city of God and the temple is the temple of the Lord. That's why he said, do not swear by Jerusalem. Why? Because they're the Lord's, they're not ours. They're the Lord's. And then he says, do not swear upon your own head. The fourth warning is for each one of us, even us that are here today. Why? Because it's directed to the children of God. Despite what the father of lies might tell us, we are not our own. You know that? We are not our own. But the father of lies comes along and he whispers in our ear all the time, telling us that we are autonomous and that we can choose for ourselves. You see, those who follow Jesus do not belong to themselves. They belong to the Lord. He set us free. Yes, he has 
But he said he's not set us free to do whatever we please. He set us free to obey. All of us who follow him are his because he has purchased us at a price. Therefore, we cannot swear on our own head simply because it's not our head. We belong to the Lord. Our impotency in this regard is made plain when Jesus says, we cannot even make even one hair white or black. Did you notice he didn't say anything about those of us who have no hair? We cannot even make one hair white or black. Now, we could say that it's clearly been some time since Jesus has been down the cosmetics aisle at a supermarket. If he had, he would surely have known that there's a ready availability of hair dye. But that would be to miss his point. Jesus wants us to see that we simply cannot jump forward and and acquire the wisdom that only comes with age and experience, that is, white hair. And he said also, in like manner, that we can't jump backward and reclaim the vitality and enthusiasm of our youth, that is, the black hair. All jokes aside, Jesus' point is serious, and that point is, we are not our own. And Jesus is in good company here because in typically blunt and to-the-point fashion, Paul says we are to honour God with our bodies. Our bodies are not our own. We are to use them because they've been given us and we are to use them for the honour of God. That means to swear by our own head runs the risk of dishonouring the one who has redeemed us at terrible cost the cost of his own life. And so what he says is, keep it simple. Have you heard of the KISS principle? Keep it simple, stupid. That's a good idea, isn't it? Keep it simple. You see, the drift to overcomplexification in our modern society is concerning as it is widespread. There's this drift towards making things more and more difficult, more and more complex. How many of you filled out a government form recently where you must use a black pen and heaven help you if you go outside the box? You've got to scrap that and you've got to start the whole thing all over again. When I was down at Notre Dame, my supervisor down there said to me, he once said, and I've remember, I'll think I'll remember this to the end of my days. He said, Mick, if it's worth saying at all, say it simply. He was talking about what I was writing in, my, in a thesis. He said, if it's worth saying at all, say it simply. If you cannot say it simply, that's a sure sign that you don't understand it. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that to the crowd of people here. He says, keep it simple. Do not be concerned about swearing oaths or vows in the name of some authority. Keep it simple. Rather, let your yes be yes and your no be no. What he's actually saying is that God's children are required to live lives of truthfulness. Personal character and personal integrity is going to trump 
religiousness every time. Imagine what would happen if we let our yes be yes and our no be no. There'd be no more beating about the bush for half an hour before we actually got to the point of the discussion, would there? We'd be able to get straight there. Our lives would change dramatically if we committed to just this one piece of advice from Jesus. What a transformation we would see in our home lives if we did that. What about our social lives? What about our work lives? All of that would change if we said what we meant and we meant what we said. Just imagine that for a moment. Jesus says, anything more comes from the evil one. Now, there's great debate here amongst biblical commentators about what this actually means, about whether the phrase is to be read as personal, that is, the evil one, which was in the NIV that we read earlier, or whether it's simply meant to be an abstract principle, that is, everything else comes from evil. That's a pointless discussion. It's a pointless discussion because it's only a distraction because those commentators have missed the point. And the point is personal integrity among the redeemed is what the whole passage is all about. That is what Jesus is driving at. Anything that detracts from the truth, anything that promotes falsehood, anything that leads a child of God away from personal transparency, accountability and truthfulness is not what God requires. Amen? Let me say that again because it's important. Anything that leads a child of God away from personal transparency, accountability and truthfulness is not what God requires. So what does God require of us? What difference is all of this going to make in our lives? As we started, I said we would need to look at the wider passage to grasp what Jesus is actually saying here in this small section about oaths and vows and swearing. And the verse is up there on the screen for you. Jesus says right at the start, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. This, folks, is the low bar. Here it is down here. It's the low bar. And like I said before, I think I could get over that pretty easy. You know, it's just a, just a simple step. Right, I'm over it. It's okay. I checked with Michael last night. The insurance policy's been paid. We're up to date. Yeah. Like I said, don't tell Peter though, He'll, uh, he, he might be concerned. That's the low bar. You see, wherever we go in the Gospels, we find interaction between Jesus and the religious authorities. And those religious authorities are usually the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. These people were the religious legalists. I'm going to resist the temptation for a show of hands. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were the religious legalists. They were the ones who specialised in the law and, they, and their real specialisation was the application of the law in people's lives. And it works much better when we're talking about other people, doesn't it? 
is great. When I'm the one who makes the laws, someone else has got to keep the laws. Jesus refers to those people as those who load people down with burdens that they can hardly carry and they will not lift a finger to help them. Elsewhere he says that they are whitewashed tombs. He says they look beautiful on the outside but on the inside they're full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. See, that's the low bar. That's the minimum the minimum bar in the righteousness stakes. This is the minimum requirement and Jesus is saying that you and I are called to do better. Your righteousness must surpass that of these hypocrites. The verse that comes at the end of that longer passage is where Jesus says, be perfect therefore as your heavenly father is perfect. I need to rejig my illustration here. There you go. That's the high bar. All of a sudden, it's not quite so easy, is it? It's a bit more difficult. Where it was easy to step over the low bar before, now it's another story altogether. You see, when Jesus was busy repeating himself, you've heard it said, but I say to you, He's actually leading people along to the point that he wants to make. And that point is he wants each of us to realise that the standard required is God's standard. God's standard is the gold standard. I checked on the internet and the high jump event in Tokyo is scheduled to be decided over two days. This is the men's high jump event. I couldn't find the women's, the dates for the women's event, so we'll run with the men's event. On the 30th of July and the 1st of August, over those two days, there will be the trials, there will be the elimination, and then there will be the celebration at the end for one of those athletes. That is, unless, of course, COVID-19 intervenes and they have to find a plan B. Now, our high jump event here is starting to look a bit more intimidating, isn't it? I, for one, I'm not too sure about you, but I am not going to try and jump over that broomstick. I'm going to opt for the graceful exit. I'm going to retire hurt before I actually break my neck. Before, we thought that it would be really easy to jump over that low bar. I thought that it would be really easy for me to jump over that low bar. But now it's a very different story. You see, I know that left to my own devices and drawing upon my own resources, I can never be perfect as my Heavenly Father is perfect. And then, to my great shame, I realised that I only thought that I could get over that low bar because of religious pride. I thought that I was better than the hypocrites. The truth is, my righteousness is no better than the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. On my own, I cannot even make it over that low bar. So woe is me. I'm a sinful man. Where can I go from here? 
where I can go is this statement, thankfully I am saved. You see, God is the one who's raised the bar and God is the one who has fulfilled the law on my behalf. Now, I know this with certainty. I know it with certainty because you're reading it on the screen. Paul has said to the believers at Ephesus that it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift from God. It's not by works so that no one can boast. You see, I thought that I could get over that low bar, but the truth is I can't. Left on my own, I can't. On many occasions throughout my life, the Holy Spirit has confirmed the truth of these words in my heart. And if I might be so bold as to add, I know that the Spirit of God is confirming that same truth in the hearts of some of you this morning. And I believe he would say something like this, there is no shame in failing to meet the gold standard of being perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. There's no shame in that. Why? Because God himself has raised the bar and God himself has cleared the bar on our behalf. And then he offers that to you and to me as gift. All of that is gift from God. You see, it's not our righteousness which counts because our righteousness can't count. We inherit the righteousness of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. God's grace and mercy are freely extended to you in Christ Jesus and that's all that matters. Our religiousness only serves as a hindrance and all of our works do not count as righteousness. See, the good news of Jesus Christ is this, that there are no oaths, that there are no vows and that there is no swearing by authorities necessary. All that's needed is simply, yet, simply let your yes be yes. There's only need for one more question. There's only one question left to ask. Will you say yes to Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so utterly amazed by the gift of eternal life that is freely ours by grace through faith on account of Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to leave aside all of our pointless religious pretense and our futile attempts to be good. Help us, Lord, to forego our lives of driven busyness and help us, Lord, to swap the focus upon works performed in your name. <coughs> Excuse me. Help us to swap the focus of works performed in your name for the opportunity to spend more time in your presence. Help us, Father, we pray in the precious name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. 
If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.